Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by our guest speaker be a blessing to your life and helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. We're so glad you're here. At this time, I'm going to bring up Pastor Holt. And uh, Pastor, if you can come up and uh, give him a big hand. We're so glad that he's here this morning. He is... uh, would you like to go up or down here? Uh, I'm okay. Well, you should say up. You say you, should, you want to go up. <laughs> well, I, I do, but not, not today. I'm, I'm ready. Are, are you ready? Amen. All right. How, how, you, how you doing? Did I say that right? How, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, how you doing fine? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow, it's always great to be with you folks. And um, life is filled with seasons, and Linda and I are in a different season, having retired from full-time pastoral ministry, but not retired from serving God. Amen. I want you to hear again, retired from full-time pastoral ministry, but not retired from serving God. Right. So whatever season you're in, God has work for you to do. And um, I-, I love the song Amazing Grace. It's been one of those strong songs throughout the years. But John Newton got it right. You know, we like to think we're really good people. But the Bible says none are righteous, and all our righteousness is filthy rice. And when he said that saved a wretch like me, it's like, I'm not a wretch. Uh, before you came to Jesus, yeah, you were. And I don't care if you can see yourself a good sinner or Okay, we got Mike here. Mike's going to help us. And um, you got some of these flyers coming in about the uh, crusade. Hallelujah. What an opportunity again to reach out to people. Um, My uh, thoughts this morning are on the fairway and headed for the flag. You see that titled in the bulletin. And the one verse that's listed there is, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And then we're going to read in a little while from Luke 15. Um, Again, Um, Thank you, Pastor Brian, for letting me come and share. I appreciate your confidence. I'll try not to preach any heresy, say anything bad about you, Um, Paula. What I will say is it's good that granddaughters don't look like their grandfathers. I'll say it about myself, too. It's good they look like their grandmoms, okay? That's all all I'm saying. So uh, that's a beautiful picture. And uh, we've we've had a lot of fun over the years. Um, We've both been here in the community for over 20 years. And it's been, it's been a great, and we, we've had a lot of fun together, and we're going to continue in that, that journey, the Lord willing. A, uh, a familiar passage of Scripture that speaks about lost things is uh, Luke chapter 15. But before we get into the descriptions in Scripture, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever lost anything? Just one, two, three. Come on, some of you are lying. If you're living on the planet, you've, you've lost something at times. And uh, I had to look it up just to make sure I wasn't, you know, going off the wall. Uh, this article says, how many times a week do you look for your keys or are you more of a where's my wallet type of person? We all have our moments where we can't find the things that were right there a moment ago. I, I know I said it right there. Someone took it. My dad would say, it just didn't get legs and walk away. One of you kids must have took it. Well, there were six of us you could try to blame. We just keep blaming each other. Um, the things you, you lose are actually the things you carry around with you the most. It's, so it's not surprising that most people lose the same things and do so more than once a month. I know a few folks in our church up at First AG, they are always losing keys. I, I don't care what the situation is. Just, they're known as key losers, okay? Uh, not losers in the sense of life, but just losing keys. No matter how different our lifestyles are, and studies and polls suggest that when it comes to losing stuff, we're all pretty much the same. So what do we lose most often? The top five things we lose, if you're on a talk show and they ask this question, you know, you have so many minutes to answer it. Um, The top five things we lose, car or house keys, wallet, phone, TV remote, and glasses. Now, when we were growing up, 
you never lost the phone. You know why? It was plugged into the wall. You didn't take it with you. You know where it was when it was ringing. You know, where's the phone? Where's the phone? Did you leave it in the car? Did you leave it? Where's the phone? My wife came home from a WM meeting one day, and she's home just a little while. Where's my phone? I don't know. I didn't have it. So we're trying to find out where her phone is. Now, if you're real good with this stuff, you know there's like a phone finder. You can track where your phone is. So we weren't really good with it, but our son was. Kevin, can you find your mom's phone? He's up in Robbinsville checking out where her phone is down here. The phone finder said it's at our daughter's house in Pennsville when she lived on the river. So we called Christy. Christy, mom lost her phone. Kevin said the phone finder says it's down at your place. Can you check your car and check around and see if the phone's there? So she checked everywhere. You know how it goes. You go in the car, you go between the seats, under the seats, you're like all around the pockets. She can't find anything. So this is brilliant. Drive away from the house and let's see what the phone finder says. So she did. She drove away from the house. The phone finder said the phone was still at her place or within 100 feet, whatever, okay? So she comes back. We're like, okay, it still shows us there. This is really one of these great stories. I love these, these stories, true stories. So my daughter's outside looking around on the ground thinking, well, maybe somehow it might have been in the car or it got on me and I dropped it, and she's looking all around the ground. She walks two doors over, and over there lived Dan and Debbie Federenko, who some of you know are members of our church. And they have one of these cameras that goes bing on the phone when someone's in front of it. You know, like you some of you have the doorbell. And so it goes bing. Debbie looks out. It's like 1130 at night. She sees our daughter with a flashlight looking around the ground. She's like, what is she doing out there? So the next day we're talking. And my wife says, I don't know where that thing could be. Maybe at the WM meeting... Someone picked up the phone and put it in their purse and said, if I got it in my purse, bing. So we called Debbie Federenko. She's at work. Hey, Debbie, do you happen to have an extra phone in your purse? She says, it's in the locker. I'll check later on. Sure enough, my wife's phone was in her purse. Whoever put it there, we don't know, but one of the ladies did it, and it was found. Oh, boy, that was a hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's like gold, right? I mean, you lose a phone. It's like, phew. So those are the top things that people lose, and along with many other things. Um, so this story that Jesus tells, you understand when, when Jesus talks, he's, and we, we relate today, there's nothing new under the sun. People lost stuff thousands of years ago. It was different kinds of stuff, but they lost stuff. So Jesus is always trying to get across a spiritual truth, and he uses things that people are familiar with. So we start the story here in uh, Luke chapter 15, and you can follow if it's on the screen or uh, you have your Bible. Uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, the man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Absolutely, because he came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the other verse in Luke chapter 19.10. Then Jesus told a parable. Suppose when he has 100 sheep, loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. When he says righteous persons, he's dealing with Pharisees who thought they were all that. They were the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're not talking about us. We don't need salvation. We're good. What they didn't know is they weren't good. If they listened to Jesus, they don't understand their need of a Savior because the Bible says we all sin. When we were kids, my dad got a few sheep for us to take care of. We moved from the city to the country, and some of you, I shared it before. And um, we used to tie the sheep outside. Sheep don't like to be pulled with a rope. They're, they're stubborn little critters. I wonder why the Bible calls us sheep. Hmm. Okay, let's just move on there. And one day, this one sheep, the rope broke. So we come home from school, and the sheep's gone. And uh, so we're out looking for the sheep. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, we found the sheep, which meant we had to take care of it. Us kids took care of it, not that. We also lost a dog one day that got away, and it never came back. It was so friendly, it would give you the combination to the safe for the house if there was one. 
Someone got it. Hey, Duke, over here. And it was a nice German Shepherd dog. That was gone. But we got the sheep back. There was rejoicing. At least I was rejoicing. But when you look at the story of, a, of sheep, you understand that this was um, an occupation, and the sheep were money. And anybody that raises animals and sells the wool or sells the meat, sheep, goats, or some of that around our area here, you understand that um, this is very important, and um, it had, of course, a happy ending to it. And I love the picture of what, what Jesus does when uh, he goes after that one which was lost. Years ago, someone gave us this picture, and I, it's one of, my, one of my favorites. I don't have enough walls to hang all my pictures. This is one of them, and I, I, I look at myself as a sheep, and I was on the edge of the cliff, and the vulture was ready for lamb chops. See a vulture flying there? This is a great picture. And the good shepherd comes just in time. Years ago, the Couriers singing group in St. Louis God has a song, I'm the lamb that the shepherd left the flock for. I was out in the cold, all alone, so in need when Jesus found me. He put his arms around me, and I'll never be alone anymore. Picture's worth a thousand words. Maybe you would put yourself in there. We all should put ourselves in there because without Jesus, we're down the gully and the vultures are gathering. We live in South Jersey. There's lots of vultures. There's lots of deer and other animals. And anytime you see a group of vultures gathering, you know, they're eating something that got killed. I'm so glad I found life in Jesus. And the good shepherd found me. And then we have... The other story here, or, or suppose a, a woman has 10 coins, verse 8 of Luke chapter 15, and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice in me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I, I just want to say, as I read stories and I read the background of them, you need to know this woman didn't search her house all day for a quarter. Unless she was really poor. I, I doubt it. If you lost a quarter, would you spend the whole day looking for a quarter? I, I, I wouldn't. I got better things to do than looking for And you know, it's going to show up when you're not looking for it. You know how that works with lost things. So, I have a 50 cent piece here. It's worth 50 cent. If I just... Ooh, hope it didn't break anything. <laughs> That thing's lost right now. Someday someone's going to be cleaning or they're going to move the dividers here. They're going to say, look what I found. Just remember who it belongs to. No, just kidding. Just, it's yours. It's 50 cents. Now, I want to tell you, if that was a gold coin, gold is only like almost $2,000 an ounce, I'd be searching all day in my house for it. But here's what's important in the story you read behind the scene. It wasn't just a coin. Most likely, it was part of a wedding gift. It, it was kind of like a diamond ring. How many of you women have a diamond ring? And you have another ring that went with it. When you, when you got married, you got engaged, you got a diamond ring, and you got a, a ring, you have a matching set. If you lost your diamond ring, you'd be looking for it. There was a news uh, some time ago, a couple that had been married for 40-some years, and she accidentally threw the rings away. They thought they'd never see them again. And uh, they called the trash company, and they had a way of dis figuring out where the bags were in the neighborhoods, and they found it. And they're, they're, they were a thing on TV. They were talking about it. It was like they were so happy. So let's talk about this lost coin for a moment. In the Orient, when the bride's parents gave their daughter in marriage, they were actually diminishing the efficiency of their family. Often, unmarried daughters would tend the flock of their father, Exodus 2.16, or they'd work in the field, or they'd render help in other ways. Thus, upon her marriage, a young woman would be thought of as increasing the efficiency of her husband's family and diminishing that of her parents. Therefore, we don't have these customs as much today, but therefore, a young man who expects to get possession of their daughter must be able to offer some sort of adequate compensation. The compensation was the marriage dowry. Did any of you have someone dish out money when you got married? Woman? Women? Woman? Did like someone to pay your dad? You know, she's not going to be here to work on the farm anymore and blah, blah, blah. So here's some money. 
Did that ever happen? Probably not. You did. Brian did. Okay. How much do you have to pay? No, it's okay. So the marriage dowry. It was not always required that the dowry be paid in cash. It could be paid in service. Because Jacob could not pay cash. He said, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel, Genesis 29, 18. And then he got a bad deal because, you know, the father trickery got Leah first. He worked another seven years, 14 years. And he had, he had two wives. Oh, he didn't know what he was in for. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. The reason for the dowry for the bride herself, it was usually customary for at least some of the price of the dowry to be given to the bride. This would be in addition to any personal gift from the bride's parents. Leah and Rachel, the two wives, complained about the stinginess of their father, Laban. Concerning him, they said, he has sold us and has quite devoured also our money, Genesis thirty-one fifteen. Laban had had the benefit of Jacob's 14 years of service without making the equivalent of at least part of it as a gift to Leah and Rachel. Since a divorced wife in the Orient is entitled to all her wearing apparel, for this reason, reason much of her personal dowry consists of coins on her headgear or jewelry on her person. This becomes wealth to her in case the marriage ends in failure. This is why the dowry is so important to the bride and such emphasis is placed upon it in negotiations that precede marriage. The woman who had 10 pieces of silver or 10 coins and lost one was greatly concerned over the loss because it was doubtless a part of her marriage dowry. And that makes a whole lot of sense to me, why she'd be searching to find it. And she did, and she called, and there was rejoicing. Another little note, sometimes people can be in the house and be lost. You can be here today. You don't know Jesus. Keith Green said it in a really simple way in his ministry, great, great ministry. Just because you walk into McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. He, you walk into your garage doesn't make you a car. And just because you're sitting in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. You can be lost right here this morning because you never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins because maybe you didn't think you needed it. Someone told me of someone who stopped going to church and she got tired of hearing that you got to be born again. Well, guess what? Jesus said that. And guess what? It's still true. You must be born again if you're going to enter into the kingdom. Because you're a sinner, we all need Jesus. Jesus died. Hallelujah. We can be forgiven. And if you're lost today in the house of God, today's your day to say yes to Jesus. While you have opportunity, say yes to Jesus. And then we have the parable of the lost prodigal son. Um, Jesus continued, there's a man who had two sons, and in verse 11, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me your share, my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. This is a Jewish boy feeding pigs. That is not kosher at all. Um, not, not good at all. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you wanted to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. This guy found it out the hard way, didn't he? He had everything in the Father's house. You think, ah, oh, this Christianity. Okay, go out in the world and see how long it is before Satan beats you up. He robbed, kills, and destroy. Only Jesus gives abundant life. Sin will take you long. It costs you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll be one of those decisions that you're glad you can come back to the Father's house. When he came to his senses, verse 17, and I pause there for a minute because when I look at this passage of Scripture and I watch people without Jesus, and I think of where I was without Jesus, here's the truth in the message version. Sin makes you stupid. It makes you stupid. I watch people doing stupid stuff all the time. Supposedly, they're smart people. Some have a lot of money. In fact, some people with a lot of money are even more stupid than people who have little money. Uh, I, you just watch it. I've lived long enough to see all this. When he came to his senses, 
He had to get away all that junk. Oh, the far country is going to be great. Wine, woman, song. And now he's got nothing. And nobody cares about him. And then he starts to wake up. It's one of those kind of wake-up calls. He says, what am I doing here? Comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired hands? Men have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And I'm not going to go into great detail these stories because you've heard these stories preached on um, many times over the, over the years. But I did want to read an interesting take on the prodigal son. And some of you might have heard this in the past, but if you didn't, you're going to hear it now. If my phone will cooperate, there it is. This is the prodigal son in the key of F. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his father to fork over his farthings. Fast he flew to foreign fields and frittered his family's fortune, feasting fabulously with floozies and faithless friends. Flooded with flattery, he financed a full-fledged fling of funny foam and fast food. Fleeced by his fellows in folly, facing famine and feeling faintly foozy, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy foreign farmyard. Feeling frail and fairly famished, he Fain would have filled his frame with forage food from the fodder fragments. Fooey, he figured. My father's flunkies fare far fancier. The frazzled fugitive fumed feverishly, facing the facts. Finally, frustrated from failure and filled with foreboding, but following his feelings, he fled from the filthy foreign farmyard. Far away, his father focused on the fretful, familiar form in the field, and flew to him and fondly flung his forearms around the fatigued fugitive. Falling at his father's feet, the fugitive floundered forlornly. Father, I flunked and fruitlessly forfeited, forfeited family favor. Whew. I don't know who wrote this up, but it's really good. <laughs> Finally, the faithful father, forbidding and forestalling, further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch forth the finest fatling and fix a feast. Faithfully, the father's firstborn, we didn't read that part, but that's the rest of it, was in a fertile field fixing fences while father and fugitive were feeling festive. The foreman felt fantastic as he flashed the fortunate news of a family, a familiar family face at a forsaken fatal foolishness. Forty-four feet from the farmhouse, the firstborn found a farmhand fixed, fixing a fatling. Frowning and finding fault, he found father and fumed. Floozies and foam from fritter family funds, and you fix a feast following your fugitive's father all? The firstborn's fury flashed, but fussing was futile. The frugal firstborn felt it was fitting to feel favored for his faithfulness and fidelity to family, father, and farm. In foolhardy fashion, he faulted the father for failing to furnish a fatling and feast for his friends. His folly was not in feeling fit for feast and fatling for friends. Rather, his flaw was in his feeling about the fairness of the festival for the found fugitive. His fundamental fallacy was a fixation on favoritism, not forgiveness. Any focus on feeling favored will fester and friction will force the faded facade to fail. Frankly, the father felt the frigid firstborn's frugality of forgiveness was formidable and frightful, but the father's former faithful fortitude and fearless forbearance to forgive both fugitive and firstborn flourishes. The far-sighted father, far father figure, such fidelity is fine, but what forbids fervent festivity for the fugitive that is found? Unfurl the flags and finery. Let fun and frolic freely flow. Former failure is forgotten. Hallelujah. Folly is forsaken. Forgiveness forms the foundation for future fortune. Wow. That's a great statement. Four facets of the father's fathomless fondness for faltering fugitives are forgiveness, forever faithful friendship, faithless love, and a facility for forgetting flaws. Woo! You like to repeat that back? Okay. I, maybe another week, Monty. That's a, that's a good question. 
Uh, so, so we have three stories of things that are lost. And it's, it's a building thing. The first is something to do with your occupation. The second has to do with something, your personal wealth or sentimentalness, actually, when you think of something given as part of a wedding ceremony and maybe future provision. And the third has to do with a living human being that God created. And when you look at the story, the story speaks to us in the first two cases of what we will do when something that is temporal is lost. What we will do for a coin. You aren't taking any of it with you in the box. You aren't taking any sheep with you. Only people live forever. So what Jesus is saying here, okay, you get, you get it now. You've lost sheep, you lost coin. I would venture to say that in this building today, some of you have lost children or grandchildren. I'm talking about you know where they are, but they're away from God. Okay? We pray for some of ours. We understand that feeling of those who even grew up in church and they're lost because they've chosen their own way, direction. So you, you get the story, and as Jesus is talking, some of these people, they're, they're getting the story. They can say, yeah, yeah, my son did something similar. He took off. We don't know where he is. But he wanted his money right now before the old man kicked the bucket, so we gave him his money, and he went his way. They get the story. And Jesus would be saying, if you're willing to spend all kind of time searching for that which is temporal, how much will you invest in that which is eternal? Are people more important than stuff? They should be for the believer. See, the world looks at it differently. The world's all about loving money and using people. The believer is all about loving people and using money or resources, whatever term you want to put in there. And if we get them mixed up, we're on the road that leads to nowhere. It's a road of destruction. So Jesus is saying, here's some things that are important. So here's a few observations. And and many of you heard the stories before, so we're not going to go into detail. Your pastor, I'm sure, has gone into detail on a lot of these stories before. In all three stories, the lost was found. That's real important. Jesus cares about lost things. In the first two, the sheep and the coin, the lost was found by the owner searching diligently for the lost object. In the third story, the prodigal son, the lost was found because the lost person returned to the owner of his own free will. You have a choice to make here. You're alive and breathing. No one can choose Jesus for you. You have a choice to make if you want to be in the Father's house, you want to be born again. And um, when it comes to, to finding lost things, years ago, a lady in our church lost a diamond ring. We're back to the, the things that you know material. And it had more sentimental value than anything to her. She said, I took my ring off in the car one day you know, do you ever get a swollen finger and you take the ring off because it's really hurting you? And she set it on the dash. And next thing she heard was boom, 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 boom. Did you ever try to get inside your ventilation system of your car? Wow. And she was getting ready to trade the car, and she had told me about it. And she had taken it to a garage for something. She said, hey, if you get a chance to look around down in the dash, I, I lost a diamond ring. And she told me it wasn't found. I said, okay, well, do you think they might have found it and not told you? She said, I don't know, hope not. I said, I'll tell you right, before you trade it in, let me mess with it. Somebody's messing with cars. She just reminded me of this like two weeks ago, and this was years ago this happened. She showed me a picture of the entire dash of her car torn apart because I had to tear everything apart. Also, I had to put it back together again because she's trading it in. I couldn't just take a sawzone. <laughs> That's gone, that's gone. If that rings in there, we're finding it. And we went through everything you can imagine. I hooked up a small, tiny hose to a wet and dry vac. Do you know how much they suck? I thought, man, if I can get this down some little crevice, I had my granddaughter who was smaller than, I said, reach your hand down here. Can you feel anything? And I, I couldn't rip anything more apart. And I'm like, I guess I failed. And then I put the little hose down one of those little things and pulled it up and on the end of it was a diamond ring. I called her. I said, hey, uh, what did your diamond ring look like? I said, you need to call your friends and have a party like the woman in Scripture because we just found it. And God cares more about you than rings, coins, and sheep. Don't ever forget it. If you're here today and you don't believe a word I have to say and you haven't been beat up enough in the world, 
I'm just saying, just go your way. And, and there'll, be people here, there'll be people here to help you when you come back. This is, this is one of my favorites. You know what's in the bottom of that container? Boring bees. They don't have a life. They're so bored. Um, helicopter bees. Carpenter bees. The kind of just, you know, we got them around our place. Somebody got a bright idea, and they said, we need to invent something to kill those things. I need to tell you, if you have a log cabin, you have holes all over the place unless you treat it because they love to bore in. And what's bad about the boring bee, the, I mean, God made them to bore. The front of their face looks like drills, and, and it spins around, and they make perfect round holes. They bore into your wood a little bit, and then they go sideways, so they weaken your wood. Then they lay eggs in there. The woodpeckers, who are really smart because God programmed that way, realize there's eggs in there. They start pecking into the wood. Next thing you come out, you're like, Look at the trim on my house. It's got holes all through. What goes? It was these guys. Someone said, I'm going to invent a box that has the identical size hole that a boring bee drills. And they can get into it, but they can't get out. This is this year alone. I empty this. This is this year alone. They're in there. They, it's angled coming up, and they drop down. And they thought, whoa. I found myself a home. No, you didn't. You found the graveyard. <laughs> and that's the prodigal son. Whoa, I got myself a home. I got stuff. I got friends. I got a car. I got a wad of money. Woohoo! He found the graveyard, but just in time, he came to his senses and came back to the father's house. If that's you this morning. God's speaking to you about today, coming back to the father's house. In all three parables, there's great celebration rejoicing after the lost is found. Another point is in the parable of the lost son, only is there a big party and a feast. It's like bring the T-bone steak and the filet mignon and the lobster. People have been and always will be more important than sheep or coins. That's why the song Amazing Grace is uh, so important, and I, I love it every time I sing it because I remember where I was when Jesus found me. Then I've, I'll close with these thoughts, and I have, what, nine minutes? Did you ever go over 12? Oh, you, okay. Whew. You know, what's bad when you, call, you have a retired preacher preach? He hasn't preached for a while, and when he does, he has so much stuff to speak on. He gets up, and he says, I don't know where to start, and someone hollered out, start near the end, preacher, start near the end. Okay, we're, we're coming down to the close here, okay? So now we're going to talk about a modern-day story that I've entitled The Parable of the Lost Golf Balls. You wonder why my title was On the Fairways and Headed for the Flag. On a recent visit some years back, and we've been up there numbers of times, to Shawnee on the Delaware, located right near the Delaware Water Gap. If you've ever been up in that part of the country near Strasburg, PA. We were in a lodging unit that overlooked the Delaware River, the Shawnee Hotel, and the golf course. The Shawnee Hotel has celebrated over 100 years, having been established in the early 1900s. And... Um, a guy by the name of Charles Campbell Worthington built this place as a place for the lifestyles of the rich and famous and this great resort. And, and of course, they had a golf course on it, which was really the, was known as the gem of the East. And he hired a man named A.W. Tillinghast to design the 18-hole golf course on Shawnee Island. And in 1912, Mr. Worthington invited a group of professional, professional golfers to be his guests at the Blackwood Inn. And that meeting led to the formation of the present-day PGA and the first PGA Championship. 26 years later, uh, 1938, Shawnee hosted the PGA Championship in this match. Sam Snead, if any of you follow golf, recognize the name. Shawnee's touring pro at the time narrowly lost to Pastor Brian Corkum. Oh, I'm sorry. Lost to Paul Runyon. They almost looked the same. I was just reading it. And throughout the early years of the end, many famous golfers played the now-famous private island course. And in 1943, the, the course was sold to Fred Waring. If you're into music, old music, Fred Waring was known for the music and the big band. He was an enthusiastic golfer, and um, they, they enlarged the golf course. But anyway, people like Arnold Palmer, Art Carney, Ed Sullivan, Eddie Fisher, Perry Como, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Jackie Gleason, and other people golfed there. During Fred Waring's ownership... 
they designed more holes and they turned it into 23, 27 holes. On the mainland, there are four holes. You have to cross a wooden bridge to get onto the island that has 23 holes. So I'm sitting there on the porch, relaxing for a week, and there's guys walking in front of me, hitting the golf ball around. I'm like, oh. So I go up to the clubhouse. I said, hey, is the golf course open? He said, no, it's not. He said, we didn't put the wooden bridge up yet. Every year they put the wooden bridge across the river, the Delaware River up there. It's real narrow. And they take it down because when it floods, it'll wash the bridge out. He said, so you can golf for free. Gee, that's, that's me. Free is me. So I'm at golf clothes with me. I walked on that golf course, I think, almost every day. Golf four holes a number of times. Just had a blast. And then I started to pick up lost golf balls. And then over the period of time, we'd been up there a couple of times. Some of my grandkids helped me. And I had to tell you, between Linda and I and grandkids, and the number of trips to Shawnee, we picked up over 500 golf balls. I'm not exaggerating because we counted them. Okay? Golf balls that were lost. So um, they had an etiquette thing. All golf courses have an etiquette. Golf course etiquette for Shawnee was titled Lost Ball. If a player believes his ball may be lost outside a water hazard or is out of bounds to save time, you should play a provisional ball. Players searching for a ball should signal the players in the group behind them to play through as it becomes apparent that the ball will not be easily found. And P.S., some will never be found. Okay? So we enjoyed finding all these lost golf balls. Um, before I go any further, I want to say, your pastor and myself have gone out and had some great fun time on the golf course. I mean, when I hit, people go, wow. And when he hits, they go, wow. After we're hitting after each other, it's a double wow because they're like, wow, they're both, the balls both went into the lake. Wow, how'd they do that? Or they both went into the woods. How? And every now and then, it went straight toward the flag. Am I right? We've golfed in the rain one day at a Speed Delight tournament. It just rained all day, and we were just soaking wet, and oh, my goodness. And then here's the greatest one. We golfed at a fire Bible conference many years ago. Our wives were with us up there. They were getting manicured and all that kind of good stuff. And we're out golfing, and we happened to golf with two other guys that were pretty good. In fact, the one's the superintendent. His son's also a pastor. Our team won. We won. Now, Pastor Brian and I had some incredible shots. I mean, incredible good. And we had some others, but they golfed a lot. And then the prize was like, it was an iPad. And I said to him, what's an iPad? You can tell how it was really not with what was an iPad. In fact, when we each got our iPad, we gave ours to a friend whose computer had gone down. I said, here, take this. My kids don't need They have all this stuff. Um, but golfing's a lot of fun. And um, if you're going to golf along with clubs, this is, this is like the cat's meow. Whoever invented this thing, they were a person that lost golf balls. What's nice about this thing is that, hold up for a minute. I can reach out. Okay? I can tell you, I've got a lot of lost balls on the creek, the edge of the lake, under thorns. You get to use this thing. It's really nifty and picks that ball right up, pop it right in your hand, put it back in your bag, whatever. And when I have a good day in a golf course, it's because I find more golf balls than I lose. <laughs> I have a real good day when I find a golf ball that looks like it was hit once and lost. I'm like, this is a brand new one. I have a really better day when people who are much better golfers than me hit one in the woods. I'm like... I do that. I never had lessons. They golf two times a week. I golf five times a year. You know what I mean? We, we have so much fun. These stories of life, they're, they're so great. And I'll finish this in a few minutes here. My son was in Bible college, and he came home on a break with one of his buddies. And the two of them and my nephew, Aaron Holt, who some of you met a couple years ago, he spoke at the first revival crusade we did. The four of us went golfing, or should I say goofing, according to how you define it. And... This guy that came with Kevin, Josh, his name is. Josh, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but it's a great illustration. I won't give your last name. Okay, I'll protect you. Um, he had golf lessons, and he was part of a golf club in school. So I thought, wow, he's going to really be good. So at the first hole, expecting great things, boom, he hits it straight across the road. And I'm like, I do that. I never had lessons, and I do that. Wow. Hole number two was the greatest one. Josh says, I'm going to hit this ball. 
he tees it up. You know, important thing about golfing is you address the ball. You know what I mean? Ball, you head to the flag. If you don't address it properly, don't blame the ball if it goes in the woods or the lake or the sand trap, okay? He swings for all he's worth, and the ball just dribbles off the tee. Boop. But the golf club leaves his hand in a boomerang motion. I'm not exaggerating. I wish I had a camera. A boomerang motion through the air and lands in the top of a tree and stays there. And it wasn't even his club. It was borrowed. I, I didn't have a phone that had a camera on it then. If I had, it would have been America's Funniest Home Video. I could have won 10000 So him and my son go over this tree. My son boosts him up so he can catch the first limb. He's up there climbing the tree, shaking the limbs. This is just... Until the club falls to the ground. I'm like, I have never done that. Maybe golf lessons, being a part of a golf club, enables you to do something like that. But here's what I've noticed in golfing. You want to you get it in the outdoors... You get to visit the beach. You get to visit the lake. You can go fishing in the beach. Take your little sand bucket along. You get to visit and walk through the trails of the woods. Sometimes you get to stay right on the nice green grass. All the game of golf. Here's what I observed about golfing. All the golf balls that someone pulled out of their collection of golf balls started out shiny and new. And their owner had high hopes of a good drive, fabulous chip shots, and fantastic putts. Oh, what a beautiful, precious little baby. You can picture your granddaughter. But things go from there, doesn't it? You know? So they all start out really, really nice. N- number two, I discovered there are different brands, and I have all kinds of brands of golf balls, you name it. But they're all designed to fly and roll. That's the design of a golf ball. They're not square. They're not octagon. They're not rectangle. They're round. They'll fly if you hit them right, and then they'll take a good roll if the ground is hard and you want them to take a good roll. Sometimes you don't. God made everyone on the planet on seven continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Australia, Antarctica, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, and he wants all to live a fully exciting life, the abundant life with real purpose, John 10.10. Another thing I observed, all golf balls that are teed up to get hit. Some go straight, some hook to the left, some get sliced a little to the right, some just dribble off the tee. Everyone in life takes some hits. I don't care who you think you are, I don't care what your heritage is, I don't care how much money you have, everybody takes hits. We determine what we do with the hits that we take. It's all about choices. Another thing I observed, some get lost. The hits, the struggles, the trials, the disappointments of life can create bitterness. And some people get lost. They get off the road. They listen to the lies of the devil. Another thing I observed is some get lost and are left for dead. You'll never find that ball. It's deep in the woods. It's in the lake, etc. That mean, nasty person, that drug addict, alcoholic, that liar, adulterer, murderer, abuser, prostitute, rapist, fornicator, lover of money, user of people, worthless bum, they'll never amount to anything. They're biggest losers. They're walking dead men. Maybe someone said that about you one day. And maybe you know someone in your life and says, that person will never get saved. Guess what? Someone might have said that about you, and you're sitting here in church serving Jesus, singing hallelujah praises. Final point, some are found and restored. We found 500. They were left for dead. We cleaned them up. We've hit them. We've given them away to people. They're still flying and rolling. Aren't you glad that God knows how to restore lost things? He came to seek and save that which was lost. And when lost people come into your church, don't look at them and say, I know your background. How would you like if God posted our individual backgrounds on the big screen? Sunday morning, Keith Holt, here's your background. Whoa, where did you get that video clip? See, we all know people's backgrounds. Aren't you glad that Jesus forgives in spite of our backgrounds? Because he came to seek and save that which was lost. He finds the lost and... um, He restores it.
Servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on my son, put that beautiful gold ring on his finger, get those brand new famous footwear, leather sandals, get the steaks on the grill. It's party time. My son was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's found. That's our attitude when sinners come to Jesus. That's what it should be, right? Because that's what Jesus demonstrated to us when we came back to the Father's house. So they began to celebrate. Um, Pastor Brian, maybe you can help me here. You can get some of your men in the church. I, I need you to give everybody in church a golf ball, and there's plenty of them there. You're not hitting them in church or outside the parking lot. You're not going to throw them at somebody. Just don't, don't give one to your wife. I'm sorry. Don't give one to your wife. And don't take one for yourself. Okay. You, you want to help pass them out? Everybody gets a golf ball. You're, you're going to get one. Okay. Just, just hold on. Okay. This is a message just to remind you. Set it on your desk. Set it next to your refrigerator on the counter. Put it in your car. And as you look at the golf ball, remind yourself that it was lost and it was found. I was once lost and Jesus found me. Amazing grace is on each one of these. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Maybe it'll cause a conversation to arise that someone you work with, maybe you'll have it sitting on your desk and they'll say, that's really interesting. And you'll have a chance to share what Jesus did in your life when you were lost and he found you. Amazing grace. Every one of these golf balls was found on some golf course because people said they're lost. Aren't you glad that God has the tools to find lost things? This is a great tool for finding lost things. You can get underneath this thorn bush without getting under the thorn bush yourself. In one spot in Shawnee, there's a creek that comes down, and all these golf balls are in a circle. There must have been 100 right there. I'm just scooping them out, scooping them out, scooping them out. Like, this is easy. This is like, Wow. That's so nice that they just stayed right there. But there are people walk by and say, I don't care about that. That's lost. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't walk by? Oh, I don't care about that person. I don't care about that person. I don't care about this person. So Pastor Brian and Paula, Paula, this golf ball is for you because you're the number one first lady in the church. And you're the one that stands with the pastor. And it says number one on it with a star. And you stand with him. Behind every good man, there's a good mother and a good wife. Yeah, give him a clap. Give her a clap. I clap for my wife. She stayed with me for over 50 years and almost all that time in ministry. Takes a team. Thank you, Paula, for your faithfulness. And Brian, this is, this is for you. How, how many of you have a golf ball that looks this dirty? Anybody? I know you don't because I cleaned them all. This one I cleaned too. Do you know what's bad about this one? This takes, takes more than soap and water. This takes a scrub brush. This takes sandpaper, steel wool, the drill with the thing on it. Because there's so much dirt embedded in here, it's just going to take some time. And I present this to you because the pastor, God calls you to persevere. Some people are pretty dirty. They come in with all kind of stuff in the past. But Jesus still loves them, and he calls faithful shepherds to work with them. And if you're one of those people that he's worked with for a long time, be glad he understands how God cleans us up and makes us a new creation. And sometimes it just doesn't happen overnight, but you have a faithful pastor and his wife. Praise God. We're on the fairway. We want to stay on the fairway. Get back on if you're off. Don't let the hits of life cause you to be bitter. Stay on the fairway. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because one day, the fairway is leading us to heaven. That's where the flag is. That's okay. You can find that. It's not lost too much. It's right here. <laughs> but we need to stay on track. Don't look around at people and stuff that happens. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the perfect one. You saw it on the screen every Sunday morning. I said to my wife, oh, man, I thought I was in a perfect church. The screen says not a perfect church. We have a perfect Savior. Stay on the fairway. Keep heading to the flag. I don't care how many hits it takes. When I'm out golfing, I don't care if it takes me 30 hits. I'm getting to the flag. i got to wave people past me. Go ahead, go, go past me. I'm getting to the flag, and that's our destination. I'm on the fairway. I'm headed for the flag. One day we're going to see Jesus. I, I'm sure I'm done. My time's over. If the worship team's coming up.
Um, pastor, okay. I turn the server to you. God bless you. Thank you for letting me come and share. Let's just close the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to save and seek that which was lost. And every one of us, Lord, when we came to you and came back to the Father's house, you forgave us. You didn't say, well, if you hadn't done this or done that. You forgave us when we came to our senses and asked you to forgive us. And you're still doing that. Lord, we meet people every day in the walk of life. Some are crustier than others, but they all are loved by you. May you use us as your hand extended to reach the lost, that they may be found as we share the good, good news of the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name, bless this church, bless Pastor Brian and Paul and their family, bless all who are part of this fellowship and have been here for years, Lord, as they faithfully serve you as a lighthouse in this community, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for letting me share with you today. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor. It's a good to know that when you look at a golf ball, place it somewhere, especially putting the scripture on it, it's really great. You were once lost. You lost like a golf ball. We've lost a lot of golf balls. How many played golf? How many ever played golf? Yeah. And you lose them. You lose them. You lose balls just sitting in the chair. <laughs> but I just say we're found, and now we've got to help other people to be found. And listen, one of the most important things is those watching online, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he wants to save you. He wants you to have eternity. He wants you to have eternal life. Just ask him, Father, forgive me from all my sins. Come into my heart and my life and choose to follow Jesus Christ. And if you do, if you do, God will transform your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for today. Bless and bless each one. And as we go out from these walls, may we be your light and your salt. May we share and care the gospel. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.